0: Two men of color vanished after last being seen in the same deputy's patrol car.
1: I knew something was wrong. My mother knows.
0: It's the strangest case, the most unsettling case. Listen to The Last Ride podcast, part of the NPR Network. My name is Emily Henry, and I'm the author of Happy Place.
1: Emily Henry is one of the queens of the romance genre, and she's back at it again with Happy Place. The book is a second-chance romance following the couple Harriet and Wynne five months after their breakup following a 10-year relationship. At a summer reunion with their college best friends, the pair find themselves pretending that they never broke up in order to have their last hurrah in their favorite place, a house on the coast of Maine. I recently spoke with Emily Henry about her vivid settings, snappy dialogue, and her appreciation of the writing community. I'm Beth Golay from KMUW Studios, part of the NPR Podcast Network. This is Marginalia. So could you give our listeners a description of the book?
0: Sure. Um, Happy Place is the story of Harriet and Wynne, who have been the perfect couple since they got together in college, which was about eight years ago. And a part of their relationship that's really important to both of them is that every summer they go with their group of best friends to this family cottage on the coast of Maine. And it's like both of their ultimate happy places, if you will. Only this year's trip will be a little bit different because Harriet and Wynne secretly broke up five months before the start of the book. And Harriet is going to go on the trip alone and break the news to her friends. Only when she gets there... Wynne is already there and it turns out that the family is selling the cottage and this is their last hurrah to um, kind of squeeze in all of their traditions and just kind of memorialize all of their significant moments there. And so Harriet and Wynne decide that they will hold off on telling their friends about the breakup for one more week before they ruin the friend group forever.
1: As you mentioned, Happy Place follows this relationship between Harriet and Wynn, but it's also about those friendships you mentioned and how how they might shift over time. So talk to me about the complexities of Harriet's group of friends, you know, what they might face. I mean, this, this group of friends has been together for like 10 years or so, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So she and her two best friends, Cleo and Sabrina, were randomly assigned roommates their freshman year at a liberal arts college in Vermont. And- they're very, very different externally. They don't necessarily seem like they would have a ton in common, but they have this really tight knit, significant friendship that has weathered a lot of time and distance, but they're now like in their thirties. And I've personally been watching like this experience with my larger group of friends where it's like your thirties are kind of the first time where you're making decisions that can take you in really different directions because I mean, you know, like in your twenties, you've got friends who are like, I'm moving to Korea to teach English and and that kind of thing, you know, they take you literally in different directions, but in your thirties, there's a lot more people like starting to have kids or deciding like, we're taking kids off the table. We're definitely not going to have kids or opening businesses or um, buying a house or like moving back to be close to family or I don't know. It's like, it's kind of like the, the first time in life where you can be friends with a lot of people who are the same age as you, but whose lives actually look very different from your own. And that can put a lot of tension into your relationships and friction as you have to kind of grow and adjust to accommodate your like very different lives. And some friendships kind of fall apart when you no longer just have like these surface level things in common, or your relationship is no longer just a a thing of convenience. Like we go to the same restaurants and bars and, or we live on the same campus or whatever. And then other relationships like deepen and become more like a familial bond where what you have in common is really kind of beside the point. But either way, it's like kind of scary because you have to adjust. Things can't just stay the same. It's the thing of, you know, once, once you have a friend who has kids, you can't just, pick up and go away for the weekend. Like you have to figure out where is that baby going to be? And same thing with like a lot of work, like obligations. If you've really kind of entrenched yourself in your career, then your schedule becomes really oriented around that. And it's just this really interesting time in life where, you know, like you can be in the same place as so many people, but also it can, it can look so different. And then there's also that weird feeling of like, am I in the right place? Am I on the right point in my timeline when you look around and everybody is kind of in different places.
1: You know, something that stands out to me about your writing is the sense of place that comes alive on the page, whether it's Lake Michigan or small town, North Carolina or the coast of Maine, it seems like the setting is so much more than simply a backdrop. It's almost a character itself. Can you talk to me about your decision to set happy place in Maine?
0: Yeah, I, I, first of all, that's a, that's a great compliment to me because for a lot of my books, the setting is the first thing that I know. It wasn't the case, I don't think, for this one. But for a lot of my books, it really is like, I'm thinking of a place that I love. And it kind of gives me an atmosphere or tone of the story. And then the story is kind of fit into the setting based on what I think it will, like the setting calls for. But for this one, I think I was excited to write about Maine because one I hadn't been there yet and I knew that I would get to go there for research and two my mom's family was originally from the New England area and so she had spent summers in Maine when she was a kid and had a lot of nostalgia and attachment and it had already it had always kind of loomed large in my mind partly because of that but then also because Maine is such a a literary state I feel like I mean there's Stephen King but there's also a lot of other things that are set in Maine and it just feels like I don't know it just it it looms large it it feels sort of mythic in a way and all of that just made it feel kind of magical and like I said it was like an excuse to go do research there and eat my way down the coast (laughs) and um beyond that I am really I'm really um cautious about settings and books like I really want if if I'm writing as if this character has some sense of, not like ownership, but just like like really belongs to this place, or this place belongs in their heart, Then I want it to feel organic to people who live there. And my editor is originally from Maine. So I knew that with my research, and then my editor is sort of the safety net, I could pull off Maine and hopefully not have too many people be like that's wrong we would never do that there and I'm always like so cautious about that because I find it really jarring when I'm reading a book that's set in a place I'm really familiar with and there's just this little detail that's wrong it can just pull you out of the story to an unnecessary degree so I just like to take that off the table.
1: So Harriet's Happy Place is that cottage in Maine where she vacations with her closest friends, but it's also her dorm room with her new roommates or her New York City apartment with Wynne or with Wynne's family in Montana. She defines happiness by comparing situations to what she experienced in her childhood home, and she also seems to define it by the happiness of others. I I noted this Mm -hmm. quote, but now I can't specifically recall where it was in the book, but it, it read, I don't think she's ever totally understood why I find it easier to fulfill other people's expectations than to set my own. So can you talk to me about this idea of happy place and what you wanted to explore with it? Yeah, yeah,
0: that's a great question. Because Harriet's like people pleasing tendencies are really kind of the core of her emotional arc and her happy place, like basically, these places that she has, um, significant memories and nostalgia for and and, and emotional attachment to it's like the places that she wants to mentally go back to when her real life is feeling really daunting and overwhelming or oppressive or whatever and part of that like I mean part of the reason that I that I was writing this book was to kind of investigate how people pleasing (laughs) can be something that forces you into the wrong like roles without you even realizing it. It can be something that takes you so far away from what would actually bring you joy and also can be really toxic in your relationships. So like for Harriet specifically, it's like she has all these happy places that she goes back to, but none of them are really connected to her daily life. And her daily life is kind of the thing that she's often trying to escape. And I think that's like a very relatable thing for a lot of us, but also it's like so upsetting to think about that. It's like, your daily life should have elements of joy in it, if at all possible, because life is very hard. Um, So, so much of the book is about her trying to figure out, okay, what do I, what would my happy place be in my real life? Like if I'm not escaping to it, how could I bring that into my, my world? And the thing about being a chronic people pleaser is that a lot of times you don't really know what you want, or even if you do know what you want, you want everything to be okay more than you want that. Like I think about like, like a relationship where I need, I feel like the need to say, this is not about my relationship, but I have (laughs) known couples where one person is usually the woman is more successful than her male partner. And that creates all of this drama and these problems in their relationship. Like the woman might be ambitious. She might love, love her success. She might love her work, whatever, but she also wants everything to be okay. She wants the relationship to feel stable and steady. And so the tendency might be to like draw back and to make herself smaller and to kind of downplay her success or whatever, because she knows that that will kind of steady the relationship. And I think with a a people pleaser, which I am a people pleaser overall, in general, your relationships can be so much less about what you want than what you think that other person wants from you. Because you're so afraid that if you are difficult or um, ask for too much or whatever, that that person might just stop loving you or abandon you or whatever. And so for Harriet, it's like so much, so many of her problems are really coming down to the fact that she can't even think about what she wants because more than anything she wants, she wants peace. She wants her friends to be happy. She wants to believe there's no uh, tension between them. She wants to trust that they're not going anywhere. And, you know, a lot of her journey is like, well, you have to kind of trust them enough to do that instead of making yourself contorting yourself into what you think people want from you.
1: Do you have a happy place? I do. I have a couple. I
0: mean, the one like as far as like Harriet's concept, the one that I go back to again and again, is the shore of Lake Michigan, I feel like very connected to myself and my past and my hopeful future when I'm there. But then the other thing really is I love being at home. And that's like my great wish for everyone <laughs> in the world. And especially all of my readers is that they can build a little a little nook for themselves that they really love being in, that feels like it's filled with peace and joy and excitement and passion and just like the things that make life really, really good
1: and delicious even like just in the day-to-day, in the mundane. Talk to me about the quote-unquote definition of family. Um, You know, Harriet and Sabrina have strained relationships with their respective families, while Wins is so comforting and supportive. And you mentioned earlier familial bond, because often these friends Mm -hmm. refer to their own group as family. So the definition of family has evolved somewhat over time, hasn't it?
0: Yeah, I think I think partly what it is, is so many more of us are like in therapy now. And we're like asking what you know, like family has moved beyond just a sense of obligation. And it used to be like, oh, you're just you you know, you can't choose your family, you're just born into it. And that's true, to an extent. But also, it's not true because if somebody is like abusive towards you or whatever, it's like you, you're not, you're, you don't have to stay in that relationship. And more and more of us are giving us ourselves permission to like build our families and decide our own boundaries with our, with our chosen family and with our just like family family. And for, for Harriet, like you said, this group of people, like she, she has an, she has a strained relationship with her family, but they are still her family. It's just that she can't seem to get, to the place of intimacy and safety and vulnerability that she wants with them. And part of that is because she is like terrified (laughs) to try to to get to that. But also part of it is just that they all have their own hangups and traumas that they all separately have to deal with. But with this group of people, she's managed to create this kind of intimacy and not every friendship can or needs to be that, but it is, so special when you have a friend who you've been through all of these different seasons of life with and you still are choosing each other. And I think you know we see that in romantic relationships, like partners that last for decades and decades and that's something that we know to celebrate. But it's also, I think just as remarkable with friendships when you see people who became friends when they were kids and they managed to keep that relationship alive and healthy even though they're they're they've been through so many iterations of themselves and to me i think that's what what family really means is it's the people who even when you change and even when you don't have anything in common the love doesn't go anywhere and the bond is still there it's like it's not about what we have in common it's just this this love and this bond and this support for each other even when we don't necessarily want the same things or have lives that look similar
1: So most romantic novels are about the highs and lows of falling in love. But second chance romances like Happy Place are about why a couple broke up and how they can fix it. Why are books about what comes after the happily ever after important for audiences to read? Oh, gosh, I think they're
0: very important. I think they're like kind of a harder sell because sometimes we don't want to think about the hard parts of life. But I think when you're writing a love story that's not a second chance romance, you still have the sense when you finish it or when you're reading one and you finish it, you have the sense that this is not actually the end for these characters. And you're saying happily ever after, but that doesn't mean that there's never going to be tumult or like problems in their relationship. They're still going to have growing pains and things they have to work through. And and that is also like worth celebrating. Like that's a, that's a, a facet of love that is significant and I think it has to be represented but I also think just like as you get older or like are in a relationship longer you kind of want to see the fictional representations of like the of the, the story you feel like you're living like not again like not that this is my relationship or my life but the idea like what I was just saying of like someone that you choose over and over again and those periods of time where it feels like, Oh, we might break, like we might not make it through this. I think that's so significant. That's so significant. It's so important. Like, to, I don't know, to see that, to see that. I think what, what we all who read these books long for is sort of this like lasting love that you can really rely on, but there's like, you know, people are people, there's going to be issues. And, I think romance novels ultimately are about hope. So when you take like the second chance of it all specifically, it's just remembering that there is hope for any two people who really love each other and are like committed to caring for themselves and one another.
1: So you mentioned, you know, when the last page is over and and it's the happily ever after spot, the, the lives of the characters go on. And many of your characters are beloved and still talked about on social media. So do do your characters stick around with you after you've completed a book? Well, to
0: an extent, I don't know. I don't think about it a ton because the the fact of the matter is, like I said, their stories still unfold. And that means more, more fights, more problems, more things they have to work through. And when I've given them like a, 400 page story, where they're getting through something and finding their way to each other, it's really hard for me to imagine diving back into their story and like messing things up again. Like I just (laughs) I don't want to do that to these fake people that I made up. And I don't know that readers actually want it. I know that sometimes readers ask for sequels. But I think sometimes sequels can be really disappointing, because you're like, well, we can't see the same story again. And it'd be weird to just have a 300 page book of them being happy so like what are we doing here unless they're like solving a murder together or something so they they do stick around like they still feel real it still feels like they're out there. I can kind of imagine details of their lives but I don't know whether I would ever go back to them or not because I would need time for to feel like they they get like a decade of smooth sailing first
1: and do you require all of your characters to be skilled with snappy repartee when they audition for your book?
0: You know, I think I do require it just because I'm not sure that I can write the book like without that. <laughs> <laughs> like they might they might get replaced if they're not doing that. And it's also weird because you have to find different like kind of subgenres of characters' humors so that everybody isn't talking exactly the same. But, yeah, they're they they kind of do have to bring that to the book or they're out
1: <laughs> so as those who follow your social media accounts know, you're extremely supportive of other writers, constantly posting some of your recent and favorite reads. I wonder if you can talk to me about writing as a community, because writing can be a very solitary endeavor, but it seems like you have such a strong and vibrant community.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it it's so weird, because it's so solitary and so isolating. But it's also like, kind of a bummer because I feel like once you're in publishing, that's when it becomes really easy to make friends with, with other writers. And it's like the people who really need those friendships are the people before like pre-pub. They're just like, you know, how do I find critique partners? How do I find people who I can kind of go through the query trenches with and, and survive this with? And it's so much harder. And then once you start publishing, you're like, oh, okay, uh, we have the same agent. We have the same editor or, you know, I just read their book and I liked it. So I'll message them. So I feel like very spoiled that I now have this writing community, but I, and I like remember how hard and painful it was to like not have that, but it just kind of happens organically. And I think that specifically there, there are a lot of really, really wonderful kind authors out there, but I really feel like romance writers specifically are like the nicest like people, like the nicest like group of people that I've ever met and not like nice, like sweet. And like, you're afraid you're going to like bruise them by being a little bit too much as I would be with like some kind of nice people. They're just like very generous, very kind. They make room for like new people. It, it feels like, or at least that's been my experience. I was like a little bit daunted entering um, publishing in this space and asking for blurbs from more established writers and, and just kind of being worried about people being like, I don't know like resentful of like of my success with my first book or anything like that And everybody was just so kind and generous with their time and their energy and that was something that that really like imprinted on me and was like okay don't forget this like don't forget how much that means to you at those beginning stages and like you know don't become a person who doesn't do this, like become like your heroes. Don't, don't, you know, be like, I can't, I can't make time for, for new authors. So yeah, I basically am just like following the lead of, of other writers who were just like so good to me right from the very beginning. Um, Christina, uh, Lauren and Jasmine Guillory and, Sally Thorne and uh, Sarah mclean so many people who are just kind of like romance powerhouses who just uh, are so supportive of new writers and really treat you like peers and friends and not like we're all in some weird competition for like the one book that everyone's going to read. Well, we've talked about quite a bit. Is there
1: anything that you want to talk about that I haven't asked?
0: I mean, I do always like to throw in like a what I'm reading um, kind of thing and, and you don't have to use it, but I will say that right now I'm reading Laura Hankins' The Daydreams, which is about a cast of of people who were on a teen show, like kind of like a Disney show in the early 2000s and it imploded excruciatingly in a live episode and um, now like 20 years later or whatever, they're like filming a reunion show and it's like all of their secrets are going to come to light and it's really, really compelling. So I'm loving that.
1: Very good. Well, your book is Happy Place. Emily Henry, thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you so much for having me back. That was Emily Henry, author of the book, Happy Place, which was published by Berkeley. Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita and is part of the NPR Podcast Network. Our engineers are Mark Statzer and Torin Anderson. Our editors are Luann Stevenson and Haley Krausen. Our producer is Haley Krausen, and our marketing coordinator is Carly Cooper. This is Marginalia, and for KMUW, I'm Beth Golay.